welcome back to the second part of the glossary series here and we're going to start out on this episode or i guess i'm joined by josh and luke the evolving wild twins and we're going to start out on this episode talking about zone starts we'll move to uh relative metrics and then if we have time or how the conversation goes we'll we'll move into quality of teammate uh and quality of competition so i don't know josh or luke um we'll start with zone starts i don't know who wants to take the first question here but like what's a zone start and how does that differ from like a face-off start when we look at this on the site yeah zone starts are something that i think a lot of people have maybe um heard about but they they're kind of their own in their own unique um category where they're almost entirely like kind of a context type metric so they don't necessarily have anything to do with how good or bad a player is it's how they're being deployed on the ice so um at least in the modern you, uh, I guess the modern era since 2007, um, we now have the ability to kind of track where players are starting on. And there's a couple different ways that, and maybe I'll let Luke chat about kind of the differences between how you can um, you can track these. But ultimately what the stat is, is it's just a looking at how often did players start in the offensive, neutral, or defensive zones. And then you compare those to their to overall uh, zone starts, um, and you get kind of metrics like something like, you know, this player started 60% of the time in the offensive zone, or this player started, you know, uh, 25% in the defensive zone or something like that. Um, and there's some other ones as well. Uh, we also have – so those would be kind of what we might call the face-off type starts, but there's also you can track on-the-fly starts. So a lot of times um, – when you look at it, not just at faceoffs, but at changes, line changes, players start on the fly, so they start in the middle of a play, which is also another type of, of start. But one of these, what the metric ultimately then allows you to do, and we're probably not going to get to this too much now, but it allows you to have features that account for certain types of usage or deployment for players. And we know that players who start in specific situations often are either more you know they have say players who start in the offensive zone more than they do in the defensive zone because they're obviously closer to their net you know the net they're shooting at they have usually a higher percentage of shots they're taking compared to players who start more in the defensive zone um, you also have players that are kind of historically used in say defensive face-offs or whatever um, there's been players that are just are on team sometimes just to take draws in the defensive zone in high kind of high leverage situations and so you, you get um those can impact how players perform and and what they're able to do so they're they're again just to summarize they're they're not necessarily something that is a this player was really good at starting in the offensive zone they're more of a this is how they were utilized and then you can use them to kind of add more context to how a player performed uh, while they're on the ice yeah and then i think the other um thing just to make clear is so when we say zone start we mean it's their shift started what zone did their shift start in so the traditional um, – they're the normal way, like a, a zone start on our site. So uh, for those who don't know, if you go on EvolvingHockey.com under the standard uh, standard dropdown and the skater tables, um, I think it's for teams too. Um, yeah, we have it for teams. But if you go in the table type, you go to zones, and then that will show all the zone start uh, metrics. And so, um, yeah, it's just when uh, – the, 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 the typical, I think it's ZS – is the is the abbreviation on our website it's like ozs would be offensive zone start um otf would be on the fly and that is just what zone did their did their shift start in or was it um on the fly and then the ozf would be the face-off so that's more of an on-ice face-off metric which was kind of one of the original on um 
people remember Corsica, or if you're familiar with Corsica.hockey, that was kind of the zone start metric that um, was on Corsica. So people might be familiar. And that excludes on-the-fly shifts, starts, um, because the vast majority of players' shifts start on the fly. Um, I think it's something like, I don't know, 50%, something around there, 50%. Um, But the reason that... um, we it's something for a contextual kind of important look at things is that when players um, get put, like Josh said, when players get put in um, kind of a more defensive role, a lot of the time their raw on ice numbers will be dragged down if they're starting in the defensive zone quite a bit. And then they potentially can get boosted if they're starting in the offensive zone quite a bit. Um, And so it's, it's um, neutral zones a little bit weirder because, it's um, not as advantageous, obviously, but it's kind of it's just neutral. So, yeah, that's kind of generally how how the zone starts um, are kind of used in the public metrics right now. And it's sometimes kind of interesting. A lot of the time, for instance, just how you would use it, you might look at a rookie and, you know, see how often the coach is deploying them in the offensive zone. A lot of the time with new players, coaches they don't trust their younger players to start in the defensive zone, so they most highly deploy them in the offensive zone as much as they can. So that's kind of just one example and of how you I, use it. I think just a little history, too. I want to say that like some of the early sites, it was like maybe behind the net was maybe one of the first sites that had them. But they've been around basically since 2007 when the um, when the play-by-play or hits yeah. or RTSS data came out. So they've kind of been an integral part about uh, evaluating players, specifically in combination with shot rates and those things. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not like this is anything new, just, I guess, a little bit of history on zone starts as well. Yeah, and I'm not sure if there's too much to add. I mean, I think that that pretty much covers it. But, like, so I guess for someone who's completely unfamiliar, you know, do players have, like, vastly different distributions of where they start their – like, what is the distribution of, like, say, offensive zone start, the proportion of of uh, offensive zone starts to all other types of starts of, for a shift look like for a player? And how does those yeah. differ from player to player, team to team? Yeah, it's it's pretty different. I think, um, so, so just for, like, an example here, we'll just take Connor McDavid, right, in the current season, because this is, like, and I haven't looked into this too much, but... A lot of these are fairly consistent from year to year. It's kind of like time on ice per game played, um, where players are average time on ice, how many minutes a player plays per game. A lot of the time that is very, very consistent from year to year because it's how the coach is deploying the player. And like a player like, you know, say McDavid or like, I don't know, Ovechkin or some superstar, whatever, they um, are just going to be get the same number of minutes every year. Um, but for instance, so McDavid, you know, highly gifted offensive player, um, he starts about 18%, 17.5% in the offensive zone, 18% in the neutral zone, and 10.3% in the defensive zone, with about 54% of his shifts starting on the fly. Um, so he is deployed in you know an offensive position. Um, and on the flip side, one of the most notorious <laughs> uh, zone start uh, players was Paul Gostad, um, who, <laughs> let, me, let me just go take a look here, um, in his last season with Nashville, uh, he was deployed 1.9% in the offensive zone, 17% in the neutral zone, and 31.5% in the defensive zone. <laughs> so that's kind of the – I think that 
McDavid might not be the most extreme player here. I think that they're um, Panarin with the Blue Jackets when Tortorella was coaching. Um, I think they lined up, right? Panarin and Tortorella. Tortorella did some yes. really extreme zone start things. I, rem- I remember, um, I think Brandon Dubinsky was, like, sometimes coaches have really very specific um, roles for players. And so from team to team, it can vary quite a bit. Um, where they have this player is only going to start in the offensive zone and this player is only going to start in the defensive zone. And that's kind of more where you see impacts to player performance is, is at those edge, those edges. So like, um, and, and it's kind of something, well, I think that this is more of a con- contextual type thing, but when we, in the next part of our series, we're going to talk about regularized, you know, adjusted plus minus and some of these more advanced models, which is more where zone starts we can account for the impact on their overall met like um like end value rating or whatever um but for just now just to cover them we're just kind of talking about the context of what they are i and i think it's just important to to keep in mind that these are often like sometimes when you hear people talk about um like these players are sheltered or they're you know they're maybe being deployed in a difficult situation a lot of times what they mean like a sheltered player might be somebody who's deployed in the offensive zone a lot and so they're given the opportunities they're not having to maybe necessarily defend they're also playing low low time on ice so that's kind of when you hear the way that people talk about deployment you can kind of go back some of this stuff up with the zone start and utilization that 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 kind of thing as well now I, I think personally like what Luke mentions it's generally better I think to allow a model to account for these and, and find the relationships there than kind of trying to do it yourself but it, it can be something that gives you more context into maybe what the output is if you go and look at for instance I don't know Luke did you look at who this year has the highest defensive zone starts would be somebody who's being kind of generally thought of as being deployed in kind of hard minutes would be going out in the defensive zone often because they're being asked to defend the opposing um the opposing player yeah so I think right now um through uh this is basically we're about a quarter of the way through the 2021 2022 season about a third about a third um and Michael McLeod for New Jersey is uh, he's getting twenty almost twenty seven percent of his zone starts are in the defensive zone, and then it kind of quickly drops off to below twenty. Um, but some other players like Jay Beagle, um, I, I don't know. There's there's a lot of uh, Eric Robinson. Isn't he? What isn't Ryan Getzlaff up there? Yeah, Getzlaff. Um, but yeah, so those are kind of some of the player types um, at this point in the season. And a lot of the time, these players are kind of. This might be something where it's not apparent, like, immediately. Like, obviously, these players are very low point producers, and that's not what they're expected to be doing, is if the coach is deploying them in the defensive zone quite a bit, they're not really expected to make to generate points, right, and score offense or do offense, whatever. They're, and so they're kind of, like, maybe a little bit underappreciated because they're getting such heavy deployment in the defensive zone, whereas some players might be um, getting – kind of a little bit of a boost from their offensive zone starts and that could mean that they potentially it's not something that they are impacting it's something that the that the system and the coach deploying them is giving them a better opportunity to generate point totals and that's kind of the essence of this is that we're trying to remove you know when you get into these more advanced models the idea is you want to try to try to account for and um, kind of remove the impact of factors that players don't have 
um, control over, um, which would be a zone start. Like a player has no idea they don't get to decide which zone, like where their shift starts, right? They have line changes and the coaches tell, you know, they, they call line changes when there's a face-off and that's, you know, they don't have control over that. So that's kind of the, the, the essence of why we look at zone starts. And uh, ultimately when we do start discussing uh, regularized adjusted plus minus or any type of goals above replacement model, these are things that you want to account for uh, because they do have impacts on, the, on a player's raw um, on ice metrics. So maybe shifting gears now when we talk about on ice metrics here to then relative metrics. So I guess what do you mean by relative and whom is it relative to? <laughs> well, so yeah, so now now we're getting into a, a transition that uh, from zone starts, which is kind of a more context um, aspect that isn't necessarily about evaluation on its own. It's more of a piece of the puzzle. Relative metrics are have been around for a while in hockey, and I don't know, maybe back even back to when they f- we first started having on ice um, metrics. But they kind of uh, it encapsulates the idea of comparing players to their teammates. Usually, now there's some other forms of this as well. That's competition that we might get to a little later. Um, but relative just means relative to usually. If you're looking at one player, how do they perform relative to their team or their teammates or pairs, the, this kind of thing? Usually, and, and we've done, if anyone wants to, like a real deep dive into kind of all of the things that go in here, um, on our references page, we have a link to uh, an article we wrote for Hockey Graph several years ago that were uh, that was called it was a two-part article called revisiting relative shot metrics part one and part two um, and we really dove deep into all of these but um, for the sake of this podcast usually what relative metrics include is kind of three different types of, of metrics that look at comparing players to their teammates the first one is we've generally generally referred to as like relative to team so that's just simp- simple simple uh, well, I don't want to say simple but it's a it was one of the first relative metrics that really caught on and you might see it in some old articles referred to as like Corsi rel just rel which is just looking at um, it's it's just a uh, you take how a player did when they were on their eye on the ice and you subtract how their team did when they were off the ice or I guess you I, sorry let me clarify how a player's team did when they were on the ice minus how a player's team did when they were off the ice and that's usually referred to as Corsi Rel. The second version of that is something that's still uh, it's pretty. Um, uh, controversial, I think, maybe in the statistical uh, world in hockey, but it's something called Wowie or without you with with you, um, which is a uh, right. Wowie, <laughs> yeah, Wowie. That's a, you know W O W Y. I just I just pronounce the whole thing because I'm not gonna call it Wowie. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Wowie, Wowie. That's what we always say, Wowie. That's with without you with you, um, without you with you without you. Uh, and these are metrics that are. Um, it looks at how player pairs did, uh, so how a specific player played with another player and how they did without them and with them, and then when they weren't together. Um, and then you have the probably the more uh, I think at least from Luke and our, our, our perspective, is something called relative to teammate. Now, these all get a little confusing because you have multiple relative terms, but relative to teammate is looking at specifically one player compared to every teammate they played with and then looking at a specific metric. Uh, like So, for instance, their, um, all of their shot attempts and then taking into account the amount of time that a given player played with all of their teammates, and then it's a calculation that sums that difference between how they did when they were on the ice and off the ice. Um, and again, we have much more detail, but that's kind of a overall, um, I guess, compares the, uh, the three main relative metrics that usually get used in hockey. So is that like a 
I guess a weighted average, if you will, if you're gonna if you're gonna do it by the, the time on ice, you sort of yeah. do like a weighted average of of the teammates as a whole. You almost make like yep. one teammate. That's yep, and that's that's that yeah, that's what it is. So where Josh kind of explained that the relative to team or um, an on off, it also might be called an on off metric where it's looking at on the ice versus off the ice kind of team performance. Um, relative to teammate is looking at you first, you find the time on ice percentage with each teammate. So that is a, you know, number from zero to one per percentage. That is um, how much of a player's time was played with another teammate. So um, generally, I mean, for like the top lines in the league, that might be, I mean, the Sedins famously played like 95% of their time together. That's extreme. But a lot of the top lines, if you have a set top line, like um, uh, it might be, you know, 80 to 85%. Um, and then you go all the way down to for every other player they played with and you multiply um, the teammates on ice Corsi 4 percentage or anything you want to on ice, like Corsi 4 per 60, anything like that. Um, and you multiply that number by the time on ice percentage with a teammate for each teammate. And then you, some, it's just a weighted average weighted by the time on ice percentage they each played with each other. So, um, what it, it's, it's a much more complicated calculation than just doing the on off metric. Um, but it's, uh, it, it much more accurately captures, um, or accounts for teammates impacts because it's not just looking at, you know, what a player did when they were on the ice versus off the ice. Well, they're going to, a lot of times they're going to be on the ice with the same teammates and those teammates might be very strong. And so when they're not on the ice they're those very strong teammates also aren't on the ice. And so the team is going to be worse when you know, that line isn't on the ice. And so that's kind of a, a problem with the original relative to team or on-off metrics. And just to kind of caveat, those were both of these things, I believe, were first kind of developed in basketball. Um, and so the wowies, I mean, I always say wowie. Sean's la Sean was laughing <laughs> Sean at was us. laughing at us when we say wowie. Have you said W-O-W-Y? That's yeah. like even well, I just say with or without you. It just rolls off. It's, it's yeah. wowie. I say wowie. I've heard other people say wowie. I just say wowie. Yeah, but anyway, those um, I, those are, are are very present in basketball, and the relative to team um, is also something present in basketball, or it was. Um, you see on-off splits, it might be called. Um, but the yeah, the relative to teammate is just um, – it's a much better method for – um, accounting for teammate teammate impact, so yeah, and and I think the other thing too, and we kind of skipped over this at the beginning, I, or I did. It's not my fault, I suppose. Is that like wh why do we why are we even doing this? I think is maybe another part of this that I think can maybe be hard to, you know, it's like wh why are we going through all this stuff to compare these players to their teammates when can't you just look at them what they did on the ice and that's how the, how well they did. But the thing is that when players and we we talked about this a little bit before um, or in our various episodes, now I don't think we've covered it really in the glossary series here. But it's that players and teammates have a um, uh, and this is based on a lot of research in the community, but also a lot of stuff that Luke and I have done. Uh, just a lot of our findings have just shown that teammates just have a very large impact on how well a player is able to play, and it's it's a I I think it. it it can get really complicated, but if you just think about it as if a player plays with bad teammates, right there, it's just going to be hard for them to, cause they have three other forwards and you know, two other or defensemen that they're having two other forwards. Sorry, two other forwards. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's the four, anyway, I'm not going to get into this, uh, <laughs> but it, it, 
what we're really trying to do and what I think hockey analysts have tried to do a lot is to separate out the effects of teammates on players. And that's kind of some of these original um, approaches here is very early. And a lot of these were just very early attempts to do this. And now we and we're not going to talk about it now, but that's ultimately we're, we're starting to lead into the reasons why we use something like regularized adjusted plus minus and a model approach here is that ultimately what you're trying to do is isolate or take out the impacts of the game on a player that they don't maybe that could potentially be overvaluing them or undervaluing them you're trying to keep everything kind of on the same constant and because of the massive impact that teammates have on players that's one of the original um, approaches or this is one of the reasons why we're using relative metrics is to try to account for the players that a player is playing with on their team you know on their lines and when they're being deployed Um, and that's kind of the ultimate uh, kind of reason why we do this stuff I mean one of the things, though, I think to me, and I don't know how you guys think of it, but I think the original, like the on-off type of split, right, just relative to team, feels like it tries to capture the entire thing, not just um, the teammates, but it feels like it tries to capture as well, like the system and, and different things that go on with that. Um, I'm not sure if you guys read that the same, whereas when you go to the relative to the teammate, it really is quality of teammate focused. If you will, do you kind of read that the same way? It just feels when you're trying to do an on off split, like you're not necessarily accounting for the as much the actual teammates that you have. And so it seems like there was like a natural push into the relative to teammate evolution here in the with or without shoes. Yeah. Well, and I think that's very, um, very true um, because the on, I mean, we've written about this when we wrote about the relative to teammate thing, but the relative to team, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's. I mean, it kind of is introduces some bias there because mm-hmm. like, you know, for instance, think about how the Oilers play when McDavid is on the ice versus how the Oilers play when he's off the ice. Like, you know, their system completely changes, I would imagine, right? Where the people who aren't McDavid are playing with him, like they can't play like that. So they're going to play completely differently than if McDavid is on the ice. And, the, and so when you do on-off splits, you kind of are, that's not really being accounted for. Um and it also kind of introduces some weird systems changes when certain player types are playing and doing the relative to teammate approach is you're looking strictly at the quality of a player's teammates and then relative to, and then a player relative to the, you know, weighted average of their teammates in single down to a single player. You can like, Sean, I think you mentioned that earlier, but it's kind of like getting all every teammate a player has played with into one value. So it's kind of a, a, a sum of, there or a composite if you will of all of a player's teammates and looking at how well a player played relative to that um and we did a i mean this might get be getting too technical but when the the general i think the original calculation i think was from david johnson yeah so we should have said this up front but essentially david johnson who previously ran hockeyanalysis.com i believe um and or hockeyanalytics.com i can't it was one of the two and then now i believe is Works with the Flames. Work. Oh, is it the Flames? Yeah, the Flames. I'm pretty sure, yeah. Or was it the Kings? No, the no, Flames. The definitely flames. the Flames. I don't know if he's still there, but... Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was the one who developed the relative to teammate method on his site, and he had, like, super versions of it and a bunch of different, like, well, You'll see aspects. sometimes, like, super wowies yeah. and stuff where it looks at, like, five-line combos and all this stuff that's, like, it's really... 
you know, Sean is just he's just can't believe we say wowie right now. <laughs> the super, but, it's the super wowie for me. Like Yeah. It's just wowie. It's super wowie. Yeah, well, super wowie. And I think we should not to really go on a tangent, but we also we didn't really discuss with without you with you or with, you know with or without you these metrics which I think are probably the most contentious metrics in the hockey statistics community. Um, I don't know about that. Uh I mean I they're close. I would say they're in the con, in they're a contender for maybe the like maybe most divisive uh, metrics. But that uh, method is I think can be useful in specific scenarios where you just want to look at how two players impact each other and what that does. But even then, it's a little tricky because one of the things I think is important to keep in mind and why the relative to teammate and wrap models I think are the better approach when you're trying to compare players um, to their teammates is that. Their players play with a ton of other players, and it's even most of the time. Sure, like a lot of people think about, like say the you know Boston's top line, right? I mean, they've been playing together the whole year. It's like eighty five percent of the time they play together, and it's like yeah, that happens. But most players very rarely play that many minutes with other players. They're playing with every other combination of players, and that all adds up and gives us enough. Um, I think us. Uh, data that we can then use to evaluate how players do in relation to their teammates. And so with wi- the, the with or without you approach oftentimes misses a lot of the other impacts that are on players. And it's just looking at specific player combinations that can, I think it's not that it's bad, but it can often lead to very quickly like um, somewhat biased or maybe skewed analysis for how players perform. Um, and- well, and just to kind of give a quick overview of how you would use a, w, a with with or without you or a wowie super wowie super wowie <laughs> uh is is you would um really so for instance right this would be something that has had been going on people would look at Connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl and they would look at how they Connor mcdavid or specifically in this case it used to be that dreisaitl is being uh propped up by playing with mcdavid all the time so you would see this where people would say, okay, well, Dreisaitl, when he was with McDavid, he had a Corsi 4 for 60 of this. And when he was without McDavid, he had a Corsi 4 for 60 of this. And so say that, you know, the Corsi 4 with McDavid was much higher than his Corsi 4 without McDavid. They would say, well, McDavid is, is you know, kind of, uh, or Dreisaitl is benefiting from playing with McDavid. Um, that was what you would see. But the thing is that when you look at that, there are, you know, a bunch of other players on the team that he would be playing with when he was not with McDavid, not to mention that he might have been playing only like 10% of his time without McDavid. So you're looking at a much smaller amount of time versus when he was playing with McDavid, which can lead to some really weird numbers and things that it's just it, it can kind of be misleading. Yeah, so. I mean, just to give some background, like as I just have, I've been working on some of this stuff for on our own in the background for some additional tools on the site. And for instance, Drysaddle this year has played with twenty six other teammates. I mean, and so uh, the most he's played with has been with with uh, Nugent Hopkins this year, and he's played fifty two of his time, fifty two percent of his time with RNH, and then um, it's Yamamoto and then McDavid. And but there's. 24 other or 23 other teammates that make up the rest of his playing time and it that not uh I guess not allowing to evaluate that piece in some form can I think removes a part of actually what's going on there so I again I they're just they're they're 
I think they can be helpful, the with or without you metrics, but they also are really um, there's you got to be careful. with You got to be really careful, and most of the time, it's just better just to use either the relative teammate metrics or something like wrap them if you're trying to account for teammates in that way. Okay, so I think I think we kind of dipped our toes into quality of teammate here already when we're talking about the the uh, relative stuff. When we talk about quality of teammates and, and quality of competition too, um, I guess what does that mean? for one and then how what's like the difference or how do you put it into like the context and what's in relative metrics which is quality of teammate um yeah just just start talking about it i guess <laughs> yeah 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 so so just the quality of quality of teammate quality of competition is something that's been kind of been around for a long time um quality of competition speci- well and teammate specifically have taken a lot of different forms a lot of the time you will see it with a um like time on ice per game played rating or a time on ice percentage rating, which would be like we had mentioned earlier with the um, relative to teammate. Okay. So first of all, any quality of teammate metric is going to be one half of the relative to teammate calculation. So Mm -hmm. it's that weighted average. We, I talked about earlier. It's that like that composite player teammate for each player it's that but for various different statistics so a lot of the time you would see it as a like time on ice percentage so the higher the time on ice percentage the more time per game played or that uh, that the players teammates in the aggregate had played and so that would be viewed as that player has played with very strong teammates um which it's kind of like zone starts if you don't have anything to compare that to because a lot of the time if you're not looking at it compared to the player's actual, like, you know, time on ice per game played or whatever, um, well, in that case, it doesn't really work. That's that's not something that you can do a relative team. I, I, I'm tripping all over myself here. <laughs> you can't do time on ice percentage relative to teammate. That doesn't really work. I mean, you could, but it's anyway, not going to anyway. tell you anything. But anyway, so quality of teammate is is that weighted average and quality of competition is the same thing but it's the aggregate of all of their opponents of all of a player's opponents so it's the aggregate or composite player using a weighted average of the time and ice percentage they played against an, an opponent um, which is a much larger calculation because um, players play against a lot of different opponents a lot of different other skaters um, and they generally I mean, we've had some pretty crazy season structures here, but generally they're only going to play three games against another team. So the actual opportunity for them to play against a large number or have a large number of their time on ice percentage with an opponent is just, it goes out the window because they I, I can't think, yeah, play that much time with an opponent. To, to put some numbers, I mean, we were talking about this, right? Like Dry Saddle has played with 26 teammates, um, but he's he's played this year against and i just i have this up on on evolving-hockey.com he's uh you know you can go under, under the tools under the tools drop down we have this table set if you want to go and look into this but he's played against 420 opponents this year the when he's been on the ice so it's just a very large amount of opponents and i think this gets into one of the things or i i, I think that we've talked about before and it's it's something that i i um i think it's important to keep in mind is the impact of teammates versus impact of competition on players and how we evaluate those things because players while they do play with quite a few teammates which is you know more than you might think they're 
those the amount of time they're playing with those 20 to you know 15 to 30 players it makes up a lot more time than all of their opponents and so a lot of times what ends up happening is that people say oh well this player played against the toughest competition in the league and so you know we need to account for that and they oftentimes will boost that player up in in kind of evaluation but what ends up happening is that um teammates have such a larger or greater effect on how well a player is able to play that the competition aspect becomes a lot smaller when you take when you take into consideration teammates and there's also what happens is generally there's kind of a correlation between teammates and competition where um i think now let me see if i'm going to trip over myself here luke help me out if i'm wrong here um is I, I believe what happens is usually players who play with worse teammates are playing against worse competition and players play with best teammates are playing against better competition, correct? And you see kind yeah. of the, uh, there's a direct relationship between those two things and the teammate portion has a much greater impact on a player performance than the competition does. So I think historically to kind of wrap this up because we've been kind of bouncing around here is that the idea of evaluating quality of, comp- of teammate and quality of competition has been in hockey statistics for a long time. There are a couple different ways to do this now again we're not going to get into this fully right now but our preferred method for this evaluation is to use the rapa model or gar or xgar model which accounts for these things inherently in the model again now we're not going to get into this now but that's just something that um, has been around so when you hear people talk about the quality of teammate or competition this is generally the idea is evaluating these things for players and like luke said it's additional context that we get for player evaluation do you guys have any more thoughts? I mean, I think if someone's listened through, yeah, listening to the through this series as a whole, this is gonna lead so well into the part three with the with the rapid models. I think this really kind of puts everything into context. But I don't know if you guys have a bow to put on it or no. I mean, I think it's more of we've kind of talked on talked about zone starts and kind of they this has been bookended kind of with zone starts and then quality of teammate and quality of competition. And those two metrics, again, are not like a value rating for a player. So a player who has higher, you know, in whatever quality of teammate metric you want, say their teammates have a very high Corsi 4 per 60 um, when like in the aggregate. That's just the context of how well a player's teammates have played when they've been with that player kind of thing or how it's well it's not even how well they have it's you know how strong are their teammates kind of thing um and so it's it's important to know that that doesn't um that's just a contextual thing so it's just giving us information about that kind of thing surrounding a player's play and not necessarily a what did that player contribute? And I think the other thing about what we kind of covered here, and when I sent Sean and Luke, or you know, I talked with Luke about this, when I said Sean this outline, it was kind of the idea of the non-model metrics. Because a lot of what this was doing, this is stuff that it's still really relevant, and I think what each one of these um, allows you to do is look at pieces of the evaluation equation that can kind of go give you more insight into how a player is playing. But it, they're all kind of what people had done in the last 10 to 15 years is try to look at these on their own and what we end up doing kind of more in the I guess in the last three to five years or maybe a little longer is taking each one of these pieces so we have context we have teammates we have competition and 
putting them all together in a system that allows us to account for all of them at the same time, which is then what leads us into Rapham. So these are kind of the building blocks over the last decade or more that then led up to what what is now kind of, you know, what, what Rapham is or what war is, which we will get into more in the next kind of uh, series here. But these are these are things that we're not using any models. There's no algorithms. There's just some somewhat complicated math involved. Um, but it's mostly just taking the actual numbers and then just doing some you know, math or some weighted averages that gives you kind of a piece of the puzzle. Um, and we'll get more into this as well in the next episode about our goals above replacement model. But the relative to teammate metrics actually are a big part of that model um, because of the way it's set up. And I think that's something that we could probably have been uh, over the years done a better job about explaining. But the relative to teammate is still pretty important for our gore, our GAR or goals above replacement model. That's one of the big parts or the backbones of that model from a season to season approach. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I don't know, Sean, did we miss anything? Um, or is there anything else that you wanted to add? No, I don't think so. I think you kind of hit everything on the, uh, on the button. And I think if, if people listen to part one, if you haven't listened to part one of the series, go back and, and listen to it, I guess. But I think it, it'll, lead everybody in really well for for the next part of the series and in understanding the models i think you're covering the basics here and getting everybody good ground um whether they've been into it or or not i mean some people i'm sure listening to this part of the series and they've been in the analytics community and they just want to hear you know how you guys explain it and maybe we'll pick up on on a thing or two uh just because you guys have you know, you guys put together the website, your website, and you're you're sort of speaking on on what's on it. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. No, well, yeah. Uh, I was going to say that we. Ha- I think I don't know. At this point, I think we're going to have at least probably two more, maybe three more. So, for anyone who's a huge goalie fan, we're saving all the goalies stuff for another episode. So uh, we'll talk about goalies after. Probably part four will be goalies. <laughs> Maybe well, part six. I, I think we were initially thinking we might part six. Because <laughs> they're evil? Yeah, no. Yeah. It's, it. I think we're going to do, just just for anybody who's wondering, like, what about goalies? You've only been talking about, really, skaters. We also might get into some team evaluation stuff, too. But um, I think we covered a lot of that stuff in the first episode. But we will have an episode on goalies. Next episode, I believe, part three will be almost entirely for skater models. So it'll be player evaluation models. And we'll try to cover them um, in a similar way and then i don't know if you have any other questions uh or any anything that you want us to cover in this series we'd be happy uh to to consider it um it's going to be an ongoing series that we release i don't know once a month or something i think is where we're at probably now um so yeah hit us up uh, either uh yeah in the comments on our site or dms or email or wherever else you can get a hold of us and we'll uh, we'll definitely take a new account awesome well we'll see you all next week and um hopefully everybody's enjoying the series Yeah. Thanks, John. Yeah, thanks, John. Take it easy.